What's up, guys? Before the show, we wanted to tell you about our new bingo endeavor, B-I-N-G-O. So what we have now on our website is a bingo sheet, five by five, with multiple prompts across various episodes. So it could be uh, Bobby's haircut is referenced, or um, Bo doesn't like his drink, or whatever prompt it may be. Uh, you basically download the bingo sheet or print it out, fill it out accordingly when you come across something in an episode. So when you came across uh, Bobby and myself talking about his haircut, uh, you would mark it down. You'd say it's episode four or the endocrine lecture or wherever it may be. Fill out all the boxes, post it on Instagram, tag us, or just send it to us through Instagram, and we'll send you a piece of merchandise from our store totally free, shipping and everything. So kind of a little fun game to get y'all engaged, to have you look for key parts within the podcast, and then to potentially just uh, get some free merch. We got posters, among other things, in our store, so check it out. Hello, my ghosts and gourds. Welcome back to another special edition of the Buzzwords Podcast. Again, it is Spooktober. Uh, but before that, I would... It's a pumpkin. But before that, I would just like to shout out our uh, one of our fans, Coffee Beast on Reddit. Uh, sorry you didn't get the survey. We'll, we'll make sure to send that right your way, so party on. Party on, Coffee Beast, yeah. And for everyone else, we have an Instagram now, at usmily underscore buzzwords and we got a shipment of stickers coming our way so follow us on instagram we'll reach out we'll send you a couple nice looking stickers and uh you can uh, give them for a nice october gift or uh save them for the holiday season yeah i hear they make nice christmas presents so just something to keep in mind yeah. birthdays thanksgiving weddings really anything so right uh gender reveals yeah well i heard those might be outlawed you know because of the the fires but until then yeah give them give them away there too <laughs> Yeah, we could do like some Christmas themed stickers among other things. We have a lot of good ideas brewing. Nice one. Oh, oh. So you catch my puns before I even do. Beautiful. Well, all right, Bobby, without further ado, do you want to start? Yeah, let's get right into it. And just as a reminder, um, or maybe for those who didn't listen to the last podcast, we did a rain check, so we have to do. Um, a 10 second pull to make up for that so we'll be doing that right now you ready ready let's get it <coughs> okay that wasn't 10 seconds but i finished my beer so All right, everyone, today is the first of a series covering hematology and oncology, largely tailored to the step two exam. There's a lot of integration and pathology within hemonc that is still relevant, so there might seem to be some step one crossover, but everything we talk about, as always, is incredibly high yield. All right, let's get down to it. So, Bobby, are you ready? Mm-hmm. All right, so we have a six-year-old female with anemia and jaundice. Her father also had some issues. Don't really remember exactly what, but it required transfusions in the past. Does that at all bring up anything in your mind? That would make me think maybe about uh, von Willebrand's disease. Okay, perfect. Now, how would von Willebrand's lead to jaundice? Just my, for my education. Um, that's a good question. It doesn't. Uh, it's probably a uh, thalassemia. Okay. So I made it incredibly vague on purpose because it can be a whole slew of things like genetic diseases, thalassemias. Um, I mean, it, it, in theory, it has to be genetic, right? Because I'm telling you the father had something. So let me give you another hint. This is hint number one. 
The patient also has splenomegaly. Okay. I'm gonna give you another. Okay. No, oh, stop. No. Stop it right there. <laughs> um, do they have sickle cell disease or sickle cell trait, perhaps? They don't have sickle cell. That is a great guess, and we'll get to sickle cell a little later. But this patient, uh, the someone, the the patient comes in and, and says, "Doctor, I have another hint for you." And the doctor says, "What's the hint, patient?" And the second hint is that on their labs they also had an elevated mean corpuscular hemoglobin concentration as oh. well as a normal hemoglobin electrophoresis. Hereditary spherocytosis. Hereditary spherocytosis. And my last hint, although you don't need it, was that the Coombs test was negative and that the osmotic fragility test was positive. <laughs> <laughs> so why, why did you say uh, hereditary spherocytosis? Um, well, they have a tendency for their red blood cells to be kind of fragile and they don't deform normally when they go through the spleen, so they end up accumulating there, leading to splenomegaly. They also, uh, the red blood cells are fragile, so they rupture, and they spill out their bilirubin, which leads to jaundice, and because you're, um, they're fragile, they also you know, have a, a faster turnover period, so um, you end up becoming anemic as a result. Exactly. So hereditary spherocytosis, you have that classic triad of anemia, jaundice, and splenomegaly. The splenomegaly is a function of what you just said, where the red blood cells can't maneuver through the microvasculature of the spleen, causing both kind of a hemolytic anemia picture, but also causes congestion within the spleen. You have that increased MCHC, or the mean corpuscular hemoglobin concentration, secondary to the high turnover. And of note, you'll have a negative Coombs test. And why is that important? So Coombs tests have to do with like autoimmune conditions, whereas the osmotic fragility is actually just a mechanical shearing, I guess, of the red blood cells. Right. So there are some autoimmune conditions that can lead to spherocytes on a blood smear, for example. So those can kind of confuse you with hereditary spherocytosis, and that's why we get the Coombs test. Yeah, and I think uh, this is a little bit of a tie into step one, but it's also something worth knowing for step two. Do you remember what the uh, mutation is that causes that, or like what the structural proteins that are disrupted are? So there are a couple for hereditary spherocytosis. Hereditary spherocytosis. Uh, Incrin is one, and Spectrum is another. Uh, I don't know if there's another one that I'm missing. Yeah, I think those are the two big ones that I remember. There's something like band 4.2 or something, but I think that that's like a, something you would see on like a preclinical, like final exam, not on the shelves or anything or on the step exam. So I wouldn't worry too much about that third one. Yeah. So the high yield points from hereditary spherocytosis, increased MCHC, spherocytes on a blood smear, increment and spectrum deficiencies. My understanding is that it is autosomal dominant. And you can see that in our question stem with the father giving it to the daughter, uh, classic triad of anemia, jaundice and splenomegaly, Coombs negative. Anything else about hereditary spherocytosis you want to mention? No, I think we covered it. And the one thing that uh, I thought was interesting is that like, when we started with the prompt, it was such a vague prompt that you give all these great answers. So you always need to think about your differential with these cases. And there are a little bit, hereditary spherocytosis is very high yield. There are more rare causes of pediatric anemia. Um, we'll get into some more later, but just always think about enzyme deficiencies, such as like pyruvate kinase deficiency, as well as glucose 6-phosphate dehydrogenase deficiency, which is the most common. Um, excellent deficiency. And so those kind of are approached in a different context. For example, G6PD deficiency. Any recollection of what instigates kind of those anemic crises? It's anything that causes oxidative damage. So yeah, things like exactly. certain antibiotics or illness can kind of like trigger a uh, episode. Or those favas. Yeah, no fava beans, which is unfortunate because it's primarily seen in uh, Mediterranean individuals who have a higher than average amount of fava beans in their, their diet. So yep. it's rough. And so these patients, I mean, they would, in theory, you could have a G6PD patient come in um, and look very similar to the female in this prompt. So you always have to keep your differential in mind. 
but they should and they will give you enough clues to narrow it down yeah okay so you have a uh a young woman come in she's 24 25 and she uh recently returned on a flight from england uh, a few days ago and she presents with a uh severe pain in her right calf what uh hereditary condition are you worried about in her you have a woman that came over on a long flight you have pain in the right calf you're getting at a dbt mm-hmm. and we're also discussing about her we're also wondering about a hereditary condition and so i mean this could happen in, in anybody regardless of a hereditary condition but i think you're getting at a, maybe a factor five light in yeah very good so i actually had some more hints ready for you the main one being that she is of white ethnicity um you know being at a relatively young age a woman in her 20s should not be getting blood clots from a long flight um which isn't even technically considered prolonged immobilization depending on the criteria that you're looking at so you want to start thinking about genetic causes of of hypercoagulability right. and the most common cause um common things being common is actually factor five Leiden deficiency great that makes a lot of sense i'll drink to that cheers even though i needed no hints well i think maybe my questions are a little bit more reasonable but i think uh, you needed two hints so i think that's a what four seconds mm -hmm. i want to hear it all right i'll make sure to get right up next to the mic here we go Great. Well, we forgot one of the one of the parts that we normally do, where we actually talk about what we're drinking. So how about we uh, skip to that real quick? <laughs> sure. I am drinking Staycation by Wolf's Ridge Brewing. Oh, cool. What are you? It's a cool name. Yeah. I'm drinking the Saint Archer. I've had a Saint Archer in the past. This is a different brew from them. This is the Mexican Lager, Saint Archer. Nice. How's your drink so far? It's pretty good. Uh, it's like a pomegranate ale so it's like pretty light because it's an ale but then it does have a nice little uh bitter hint of pomegranate to it so i like it pretty good great mine's good as well and what we'll do after is we'll we'll rate them and then we'll go into the advocate and see how closely our rating uh, correlates with that of the community yep don't want to be biased of course not so this one's hard because what was the last one? one last one was like a level three it was like level five also because i don't really even understand it um, bruh bruh so, uh, most common cause of microcystic anemia in young children between the ages of one and three is... <laughs> I'm sorry? <laughs> microcystic anemia. For kids. It's honestly between... like kind of a... Yeah. I'll let you, I'll let you answer it because you, you always get some good teaching points out just with even incorrect answers. If I was a child, why would I be anemic? Between the you ages of one, of one and three. You said microcystic anemia, right? Yes. Um, gosh, kids are so lame. I hate having to learn about them. <laughs> All right, I'm going to help you out. One Give of them like is thalassemia, which yeah. is what you said. The other one is a nutritional deficiency. What, like a uh, iron deficiency? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. I was thinking so about that because like, they drink too much milk. and then the, the Exactly. I so, forget what it is in the milk, but it like binds iron, and so they don't absorb enough of it from other sources. So on the USMLE... If you get an anemic kid, rel relatively young, think about iron deficiency and think about thalassemia. In regards to iron deficiency, it's mostly caused by what? You just said it. Consumption of cow's milk. Because one, cow's milk leads to poor iron bioavailability in general, but also it can lead to like this protein-induced colitis, which prevents absorption anyways. So too much cow's milk 
leads to iron deficiency, which is the most common nutritional cause of microcytic anemia in young children. Interesting. If so, I remember let me, correctly, yep. actually, there was a, uh, I think on my shelf, or something that I remember learning for the peach shelf, was you had to, um, you're supposed to do like some screen, you're supposed to screen for iron deficiency anemia, I believe at 12 months, and then you do it again at 18 months, because that's like when they're starting to introduce um, more foods into their diet, so it's like a good time to double check that they're not uh, anemic. That makes sense. And just for lab purposes, so we understand what labs that we see on this exam, what would you expect the red cell distribution width to be in someone that's iron deficient? Higher so level. for iron deficiency, it will be high. Why? Because the actual amount of iron that's available to the red blood cells for uh, heme production varies throughout the day. And as a result, you get a, a wider variety of um, red blood cell sizes. Exactly. So kind of as your nutri nutrients decrease, these red blood cells are being made. And as you know, the iron keeps going down and down and down, the red cells will change in size. And so that distribution width, which is kind of just a range of distributions of large versus small red blood cells will grow. And I think the cutoff based off my research is a 20% kind of width. So if red cell distribution width is greater than 20%, that's very suggestive of iron deficiency anemia versus the other cause, which we talked about thalassemia, where you'll have a relatively low distribution since all the cells aren't being made as a result of a deficiency, but rather as a result of a genetic condition. Yeah, if I remember correctly, the uh, the other lab values for thalassemia versus an iron deficiency anemia are more or less the same. And so like the surefire way, or the way that I always remembered at least to tell them apart for the USMLA was actually that red cell distribution width. Beautiful. All right, well, since you didn't get that incredibly vague question uh, correct, then you, I think you have to drink again. I'll drink with you. <sighs> <laughs> Okay. A young man comes to you and he has a tendency to bleed, uh, bruises easily, and if he gets a cut or something, it takes a really long time for it to stop bleeding. And he's actually starting to have some, some joint pain, some crepitus in his ankles and in his knees. What's going on? I'm thinking about a, oh, interesting, some joint pain and crepitus. So bleeding easily, I started thinking about a von Willebrand's disease. But you're talking about crepitus in the joints. I start thinking about more of a coagulation issue, like a factor eight efficiency. Yeah. You know, von Willebrand's can lead to that, um, or at least to an increased PTT, but uh, those would be my first two guesses. Yeah, no, exactly. So you, that was some good insight with the, uh, the heme arthrosis being a indicator that it was more of a coagulation thing versus a, a platelet function issue. Um, and so, yeah, exactly. It was a factor eight deficiency that I was going for there. Uh, the big hint for that one was that it's a man. So classically, uh, you know, factor eight is an excellent condition. Um, so men are more likely to get it. I don't, I guess theoretically it would be possible for a, a woman to have a, a factor eight deficiency, but I wouldn't worry about that for the purposes of the USMLE. Um, the types of things you're going to see is like prolonged bleeding after surgeries, um, and like bleeding into joints, which can actually lead to uh, arthritis over time. And why wasn't it von Willebrand's? Because when I think about like easily bleeding, like I think about bleeding time and I think about a platelet dysfunction. Like is, mm -hmm. is, can you kind of elaborate on, on what made you... Like, could you not have hemarthrosis with von Willebrand's? Yeah, so classically, um, the way that I tend to kind of arrange, um, you know, like bleeding diseases in terms of symptoms is the coagulation deficiencies tend to cause prolonged bleeding and like bleeding into deeper structures versus, um, you know, platelet dysfunction more easy down the line of like petechiae, easy bruising, um, mucosal bleeding type of picture. What's the uh, classic USMLE medication that you give for von Willebrand's disease? 
So von Wildebrand's disease is an interesting medication. Initially, you, you hear it and you're like, that doesn't really make sense, but you give uh, intranasal DDAVP. Perfect. Do you know I why? I think it's something to do. It stimulates uh, the actual production of von Wildebrand's or the release of von Wildebrand's, or maybe both from the actual vasculature. Yeah, so it actually promotes release of um, libel pilate bodies from the endothelium that contain uh, von Wildebrand's factor as well as factor eight. Nice, libel pilate. How... Uh... How much would I need to give you to name your first kid Weibel Pilate? I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm infertile, but I'll do it for free. Like, no problem. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Well, to the viewers at home, I got a, I got a picture today of uh, Bobby's new hairdo. Bobby, you want to explain how your hair is doing right now? Uh, Not really. <laughs> All right. Well, for the viewers at home, follow our Instagram. I'll post a picture of Bobby's new hairdo, and uh, it'll make sense as to his infertility once you see that. Wow. What a low blow. That's, those are strong words coming from somebody with a uh, goatee. <laughs> that is too soon. I'll drink to that. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> it's the goatee for me. All right. right. So, I have an 11-year-old boy who presents with a worsening cough, fever, and chest pain. He's had hospitalizations in the past for some acute pain across various parts of his body. His hemoglobin right now is 4.5 with low reticulocytes. What are you thinking about? So, low reticulocytes would suggest to me that there is some sort of intrinsic failure of the bone marrow or some other process that's suppressing the bone marrow um, so that it isn't adequately able to compensate for the anemia. So, uh, you know, given the chest pain, like the history of previous hospitalizations for pain, that would make me think more about a sickle cell type picture uh, with perhaps a aplastic crisis superimposed. Beautiful. And what bug? What bug is giving this guy a cough? What's tickling his throat? Uh, well, I think given the current timeline, it could be potentially coronavirus. But the uh, USMLE answer would be parvovirus B nineteen. Perfect. Yep. Remember that sketchy where the little kids play with the trains and the, and the planes, and there's a nice like Russian sickle um, on the back wall. So exactly. So patient has sickle cell disease and parvovirus 19 classically can lead to aplastic crisis, which is severe anemia without reticulocytes consistent with the halting of red blood cell production in the actual marrow itself. Right on. You grabbed every key point from that stem. I'll drink to that. Cheers. So the same patient from before with a factor eight deficiency comes in and you know what you did to treat him was you started prescribing him a uh, recombinant factor eight. And that's worked for a while, but he started to have bleeding again. What's going on? Oh, interesting. Is he creating antibodies? Yes, very good. So um, factor eight, or recombinant factor eight, is a uh, injectable medication that people with, um, you know, kind of severe hemophilias can uh, use to kind of help control their bleeding in acute events. I don't know that it's used like as a maintenance therapy, um, but like with most recombinant injectable medications, there is actually the potential to develop um, antibodies against it. And so you can develop a antibody against recombinant factor eight that also tends to, I mean, they don't have any of their own factor eight. So um, it leads to them starting to bleed again. And bummer. one of the ways, yeah, it's a real bummer. Um, and one of the ways you can actually check for that is called a mixing study. So, and you can use mixing studies for a couple of the other bleeding disorders. But the way that that test works actually is you, um, mix their blood with some factor eight and if it clots normally then that suggests that one they have a factor eight deficiency 
and that uh, they don't have any antibodies. And then if you try mixing factory and it doesn't clot um, what it previously used to, then that would suggest that they actually have some sort of intrinsic uh, or developed autoantibody against uh, factor eight. Right. So as a follow-up question, would you, how would you treat that person then? What could you do? You might need to transfuse them. Yeah, so in the, the acute yeah. setting, that would, that would help you. But you're thinking, is there a medication that you're getting at? So I'm not really thinking of a specific medication, but you, you give what's called, I believe it's called bypass therapy, where you give them something lower down in the coagulation cascade that doesn't require factor eight to function. So you could give them, you know, factor two, like uh, thrombin directly. Right, right. I do, I do remember that, but I don't know that too well. That's interesting. Well, if, if you get a question about that, which would be pretty deep for the step two exam, uh, you'll know it because of Bobby's genius. Cheers. It's not Man Bun Monday, but we're doing what we can. It's Wednesday, and I can't think of anything that starts with a W that we would rhyme with, so it's just Wednesday. You have a poem for us today, Bobby? <laughs> you know I always do. <laughs> this is more of an uplifting one, uh, but it's also pretty short. Baby shoes, worn until they grew out of it. For sale. Aw. That's actually really nice. <laughs> I realized I was being a bit too melancholy, you know, and I, I wanted to make this a more positive podcast, so I figured I'd, you know. What does Edgar Allan right. Poe know? Do you do you have a poem or? I'm, I'm looking up, uh, I, I looked up best haikus, and this is what I got. You let me know, okay? I'll tell you, I'll, I'll give you a couple, couple of the quote best haikus per Google SEO. My cow gives less milk. Now that it has been eaten by a fierce dragon. That one really speaks to me. But I don't know what it's... It's in a language that I can't understand. You know what I mean? No, no well, well, let me tell you about this next one. Okay. Fat man sees small door. He knows he cannot fit through. Tears flow free now. And I'll end it with this. My breakfast today. Bacon, eggs, and ice water. I feel... So healthy. Are the two are the, were those two related? Like was the was the fat man crying and then he tried to make a life change and so he started eating a more balanced breakfast or? That's I'm just point. curious about the lore behind these. I, I you know. So you have a two year old boy, presents with fevers, fatigue, sweats, found to have a white blood cell count of eighty one thousand, eighty percent blast. What are you thinking about? I'm thinking that this is an aunt question when we agree to do him for this podcast. Um, I am thinking AML. Perfect. Wait, hold on. Did we agree to do No, we didn't. Only... Just, that was just oh, okay. to give you a hard time. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's not AML because it's 80% blast cells. Oh, blast. So acute lymphoblastic yeah, yeah. lymphoma, which makes sense in the setting of it being also a pediatric patient. So two-year-old boy, fevers, fatigue, sweats, 81,000 white blood cell count, 80% blast. So ALL is predominantly a disease of children. And you can have those classic B cell symptoms, but it can also push out, you know, the formation of other blood types. So that's why you get the fatigue with the anemia. You might get some bleeding due to thrombocytopenia. And because there's so much bone involvement, periosteal involvement, medullary involvement, you can actually get significant bone pain. So this is kind of a step one throwback. I'll be so impressed if you get this, but do you know what they would look at within the cells to determine if it was ALL or AML? 
our rods? Well done. So our rods would signify which one, AML or ALL? Uh, it's AML. Perfect, yep. So AML, our rods. If you see our rods in the text, think about AML. It should already be more apparent because it should be an adult. If you see TDT, you should think about ALL. And TDD means terminal deoxynucleotide transferase. Those are found in premature blast cells. So TDD, think lymphoma. Our rods, think myeloid progenitors, or AML. Yeah, that's a good one. So Do you know let me, why me, or uh, what the big concern is with our rods? No, I don't. What is it? So uh, they actually predispose you to DIC. Oh, interesting. Why is that? Uh, I don't remember correctly, but whatever they are made out of, um, something involved in the coagulation cascade, and it will throw somebody in a DIC if, if there's too much um, myelate cells. I think it's the risk is specifically higher with uh, APML, acute promyeloplastic leukemia. Yep, so what I'm reading is acute leukemia rods are contained, these hour rods are composed of fused lysosomes containing peroxidase, lysosomal enzymes, and crystalline inclusions. So it makes sense to me that if any of that gets out into the blood, similar, as, similar to a pancreatitis, it would cause a lot of inflammation and potentially a DIC picture. I'll drink to that. I'll drink to that. While you're drinking, I'm going to ask you one more question about this. If you had a patient like this, let's say you have this two-year-old boy, and you start a on chemo, and you're monitoring the labs, and you notice that the creatinine starts rising. What other labs might be elevated? Um, I imagine that you are getting a tumor lysis syndrome, and so I would be concerned about potassium, and then maybe also calcium. Okay. And what's causing the, the renal dysfunction of the nephropathy here? Oh, right. So there's a substantial amount of urea released, um, which can also lead to uh, crystallinization in the kidneys and uric acid stones as a result. Exactly. So with any type of cancer, really, but really blood cancer specifically, think about tumor lysis syndrome when you're treating these patients. You have an explosion of all these cancer cells leading to a, basically a rush, a flood of electrolytes and uric acid that can lead to renal damage, um, secondary to what you just said, the uric acid nephropathy. So if we went back in time, what medication should we have given this patient uh, kind of concomitantly with the chemotherapy? So there's two mainstays of uh, pretreatment, I guess, in tumor lysis syndrome. So the main one is hydration, IV fluids. Solution for pollution is always dilution. Um, and then you'd want to give uh, like probenicid, I believe. Right. Or allopurinol. Yeah. So anything that's kind of like a, you know, anti-uric acids, antioxidase, um, to prevent the formation of all that uric acid. Right. Well, and then there's certain, isn't there a couple of like weird recombinant uric acid um Zanth like I think the recombinant xanthine oxidase is actually like resburicase and uh, there's another one that also has a case in the name that actually will help um, with that as well and are used in tumor lysis syndrome but are extremely expensive so are more of like a last line therapy yeah I don't know why you give those I guess maybe if they were allergic to allopurinol in theory I suppose cool well done you got that 100% well I didn't get I thought it was AML instead of ALL because I didn't listen to you. So I'll, I'll take a sip for that at least. Oh, perfect. Yeah, listening is key. Anyway, so that woman who was on the plane earlier, she actually uh, didn't have Fact 5 Leiden. She's a little bit older now, and she's been having a few miscarriages. What do you think is going on? Oh, so she has a rheumatologic condition, and I'm starting to think about antiphospholipid. 
Yes, that is correct. All I right. have no further follow-up. <laughs> <laughs> Not even the antibodies? <laughs> all right, you want the antibody? You're going to be all needy? Fine. It's anti-cardiolipin. There's, there's a, also there's two, two others. Right? There's like beta yeah. two microglobulin, and I forget what the third one is, but it's not important. How about uh, for uh, completion state? <laughs> All right, I'll look it up. So wait, hold on. So we have anti. We, we should know this. Anti <laughs> Anti beta two microglobulin. Is that the one yeah, you said? That's the one I said. And isn't anti phospholipid just uh, maybe not? That seems too easy, but maybe. My uh, up-to-date subscription has lapsed, so I cannot look it up. <laughs> All right, so the three antibodies for antiphospholipid that you should know. Anti-cardiolipin, anti-beta-2 glycoprotein, and lupus anticoagulant. Oh, that's the classic. Well, how could... Oh, we should have known that because it's always we associated with that. lupus. Yeah, that's... I feel that's... bad. We need a fact checker that just is, like, looking this stuff up stuff up for us. What's a Rogan's fact checker name? Jamie, look that up. Jamie. <laughs> We get our own Jamie. Yeah. Or we or we swipe that Jamie. But we know you're part of Rogan's deal. <laughs> we know you're part of an extremely <laughs> successful Spotify deal where you have probably made millions. But would you like to come work for free on a medicine we podcast? <laughs> we will give you as many stickers as you want within reason. Even that's kinda like really you're gonna you're gonna push it. <laughs> Alright. I have just kind of some buzzwords. No pun intended. So How is that if a someone <laughs> You, you make puns podcast. when you're not trying. Well, but that's not a pun. Like, they know. You know, everybody knows. You have buzzwords on the buzzword podcast? Okay. Sorry. I, too, too mean. <laughs> yeah. I'm still upset that you made fun of my man bun, I think is what it is. And I'm just trying to take it out, you know, little chaps. But, you know, I didn't sorry. tell anyone that it was a man bun. I just said, tell me about your haircut. And you said no. Yeah. And so then you're like, oh, it's a man bun. So you did tell people. No, I didn't. I said it was Man Bun Monday at some point, but no one knew that was in, in regards to your hairstyle. It was while we were talking about it. What else would it be? All right. When I'm editing this podcast, I'm going to clip it right here, this audio. And if there's nothing that's clipped, that means I didn't say anything. All right. All right. So I have a buzzword for you. No pun intended. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Let's hear it. That was such a good pun. That's why I burst into laughter. If I say amyloid, what organ systems do you think about? All of them. Yeah, but like, ma like mainly, like when you when you amyloid disease, what do you what have you heard about? So I would think about amyloid in the heart, amyloid Perfect. in the liver, amyloid in the skin. I don't. I maybe I don't understand the question. No, nope, that's exactly right. I wanted to just get the main kind of organ systems that are typically affected by amyloid or at least the ones that are clinically relevant that we actually start getting worried and you got right. it the number one two three are heart liver kidneys maybe not necessarily in that order and so another buzzword no pun intended what are the different causes of amyloid like that's that not from a, top of your head that isn't a buzzword but uh so you have primary amyloidosis also known as a a amyloidosis i believe which is AL. is a l amyloidosis amyloid which is, chain. right that makes sense um which is a disease in and of itself. And then you have secondary amyloidosis from things that cause chronic inflammation. And so that's AA. Right. Um, and there's also a few other kind of like weird causes that you should know. There's one that tends to cause carpal tunnel syndrome in people who are on dialysis because for whatever, it's a normal blood protein, but it's, it isn't filtered by the dialysis machines right. appropriately. I believe it's like what beta. It is beta two microglobulin. 
created to megacoagulate, and so you end up getting carpal tunnel syndrome. And I believe it also causes arth arthritis and arthrosis syndromes. Uh, the other one is just the classic aging amyloidosis. I believe it's a uh, lipofusion deposition in the heart. Mm -hmm. And then yep. I think that's there's one other one that I'm drawing a blank on. No, you're getting them. The only maybe maybe Alzheimer's, but that's oh that's yeah, neither here or there. So we already talked AL... about that in the neuro. Right. Someone fact checked us. Maybe we didn't, but if you know, you know. Amyloid light chain, primary amyloidosis. Right. It's the deposition of light chain fragments. It's often associated with other conditions such as like multiple myeloma, um, and it's really the the deposition of light chains. Like I said, like you said, amyloid AA amyloidosis is really secondary to the acute phase reactant deposition of serum amyloid A. And it's associated with chronic inflammatory decision. It's associated with chronic inflammatory diseases. So if some patient in the question stem has rheumatoid arthritis or neoplasm that's been chronic, uh, think about this type of amyloid. Like you said, dialysis related amyloid, think about beta 2 microglobulin. And for all of these, if I wanted to diagnose this, I would get a biopsy. And on that biopsy, I would see what? You would see uh green immunofluorescence or whatever with Congo red stain. Perfect. Yep. Congo red stain on apple green bifringes. Not just green. Apple green. Of course. Those pathologists love their food groups. You know what I'm saying? It's really like bread and butter, pericarditis, apple green, birefringence. Oh, nice pun. Tea, colored urine. Cola, colored urine. Yeah. Onion, shaped testes. I don't remember any, any <laughs> description of testes as onion shaped. I remember like onion skinning perhaps, but. What's that? It's like when you get like a circular deposition of uh keratin or whatever around uh like blood vessels and stuff right yeah that's what i was talking about <laughs> it happens in the testes too so i'm sure just for the people listening at home sorry this podcast has gone off the rails a little bit that 10 second poll in the beginning may have been a bit much uh but anyway since we're doing more buzzword short stems how do you anticoagulate somebody when they're pregnant so you don't want to go to war with the baby so no warfarin and i think you can just give heparin mm-hmm anything else to add to that uh, what if they have kidney problems? Heparin is fine for kidney problems. Yeah. So, uh, something to keep in mind is low molecular weight. Heparin, uh, has a longer half-life. It's generally pretty good, but it is renally excreted. And so you have to be cautious, uh, giving it to somebody who has kidney problems. So you will actually just give an unfractionated heparin. Right. Exactly. So if you have someone that's neutropenic, which is an absolute neutral count of less than 1500 technically, and febrile, we want to start them on what immediately? you would want to start them on uh, broad-spectrum antibiotics. Right. Covering primarily for which bug? Pseudomonas. Perfect. So I have a six-year-old boy fatigued with pallor with two weeks of abdominal pain and some diarrhea. Right now, they have an exam significant for a petechiae. What are you thinking about? Diarrheal illness in a child with any type of heme symptoms makes me concerned for hemolytic uremic syndrome. Right. So what did this kiddo do maybe two days or two weeks ago, excuse me? He uh, maybe had a cheeseburger or something that was a little bit undercooked, ate some right. ground beef. So the initial insult is from the shiga toxin, but is it shigella that most people get this from? Usually it's E. coli, specifically the 0157H7 strain. Wow. Do you, do you have that memorized? Yeah. Nice. You don't? Fantastic. 
Uh, I don't think I do. And I just I just had a patient with this maybe a week ago, too, and I still couldn't remember it. Hmm. So, initial insult from the sugar toxin, E. coli 0157, colon H7, can lead to hemolytic anemia. And let's say you get a blood smear. What are you going to see on that blood smear of this patient? You're going to see, as Amanda Bynes might say, maha. So they will have uh, schistocytes because they develop microangiopathic hemolytic anemia. <laughs> to the listener at home, if you understood that reference, good for you. <laughs> Dude, Amanda Bynes, all reference. that, when she's the judge, and she's like, bring in the dancing crabs. And then sometimes she would say, maha. That's how I remember that. what that it is. That was her show. <laughs> Deep cut, let's go. Oh, yeah, the Amanda Bynes show, sorry. Yeah. Amanda, 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 this show. I hope yeah. she's doing, I think she turned out well, right? She's doing great now. <laughs> what do you think, what do you think is going to come up if I type in Amanda Bynes? <laughs> I think it's just for the best that you don't. Well, she's actually been in the news as of one day ago. <laughs> That's never a good sign. <laughs> she... I'm gonna I'm gonna find a way to show our, our listeners this picture. But I'm just gonna leave it at that. Amanda Bynes celebrates one year anniversary with fiance, and then it shows a picture of them. And that's what I'm gonna just that's all I'm gonna say. Cool. Well I'm not gonna look it up, so I am uh, looking forward to seeing it along with our listeners when this podcast goes up. Yep, it'll be on our Instagram. I'll just say that there are uh, now some face tattoos. Oh, that's always a good sign. That that has a uh, good prognostic value. Right, so so we got hemolytic uremic syndrome, just to get back on track. We have a six-year-old boy. He had diarrhea, probably E. coli, sugar toxin, hemolytic anemia. On blood smear, you have the maha, schistocytes, the helmet cells, the elevated bilirubin, thrombocytopenia. They'll likely have an AKI, maybe some renal dysfunction, maybe even requiring dialysis secondary to renal insult because of the maha, the platelet activation, and the microthrombi. So let's say we had this patient two weeks ago, and we took some stool then, and we saw that it was this E. coli. Should we have given them antibiotics back then? Definitely not. Why not? Because the uh, the symptoms aren't from the actual E. coli infection, it's from the toxin that they produce. So if you give antibiotics, it'll cause the uh, E. coli to die more quickly, and that can actually lead to a um, bigger bolus, I guess, of the toxin, and so the symptoms will actually get worse. So exactly. if they if they have um, HUS from E. coli, the mainstay treatment is really just supportive measures. Exactly. All right, Bobby, we're coming down to the end of the podcast. How has your drink been? I really liked it. Um, I would give it an 8 out of 10. Tell me the name of it one more time. It is Staycation by Wolf's Ridge Brewing. You know, I, I, I saw the name and it really called out to me because, you know, I just don't leave my house anymore during quarantine. So I was like, yeah, I, I'm on permanent staycation right now. So I wanted a beer to right. reflect that. So you had Staycation by Wolf's Ridge Brewing and you gave it a what score? I give it an 8 out of 10. See if you can find it. I can't find it. I can find Wolf Ridge Brewing in general, where it gives me the average beer set, but it doesn't give me the um, staycation. Unless it's spelled weird, staycation. It's not. It might be new. Maybe it's... it's uh... Damn it. There's no actual rating. What kind of... You said it was an ale of, of what? Pomegranate ale? It's a pomegranate Kolsch, K-O-L-S-C-H style ale. All right, guys, Bobby's beer does not have a rating. I drank it before it was cool. Yeah, that's interesting. So Bobby's Bobby's rating is the de facto I am the gold standard. <laughs> All right, well, I got the St. Archer Mexican lager. What do you think? The first thing you notice when you drink it is just how smooth it is. It's really good. I can't really remember how good the other one was from St. Archer, but I, I do remember it being very good as well. So if I had to guess, this one's going to be up there. And so I'm going to give it 
my my I'm not gonna base it based off what I think others would give it, but I would give this an eight out of ten as well. All right, you guys will be glad to know that the Mexican Lager from Saint Archer also doesn't have a score. What? This is unprecedented. It says score and A, but then there's a bunch of reviews. So I'll read one or two of the reviews. There's only one, two, three, four reviews. So maybe this is a relatively new beer as well. So it's out of five. And the first four reviews are 3.25, 3.69, 3.66, and three out of five. So one of the reviews says, part of a variety 24 pack Costco, 29.99. 119 days before date on can. Light smell of malts, light clear golden color, light mouthfeel, medium carbonation. Taste of light malts like a macro brew. Overall, not that great. A premium price for a macro taste. Wouldn't buy again. I think I have a new hobby. I think I'm gonna start. I, I think I'm gonna start a uh, beer advocate account. Why not? I am. Uh, Be the first person to review the beer that you just. You I'm drink. making. I'm making it right now. I'm doing my civic duty. I don't know if this is a rotating versus one-off versus a year-round beer. I'm gonna say it's year-round. ABV, four point four percent. All right, everyone. That is it for today's episode. As always, reach out to us on our Instagram, USMLE underscore buzzwords. Thank you to those that have reached out thus far. We have a shipload of stickers coming our way and then subsequently coming your way. So without further ado, have a great day and a great rest of your week. Anything else, Bobby? Nope, that's it. See you guys. I finished my beer while we were talking, so I can't. See you later, my ghosts and gourds. Kirby? Yay!